Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and he said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost? to see whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow has began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask that as your word has been read and is proclaimed, that it may speak to us that it may sit with our hearts and our minds, that it may sit and dwell within us as we consider what it means to follow you in our world today. We ask this in your most blessed name. Amen. <coughs> I figure that since many people are going back to the swing of things uh, for their September routine, I thought I would share a back-to-school experience uh, from my own past. It has to do with college, but it's nothing uh, too crazy, unfortunately. Once I, <laughs> well, seminary stories are a different thing. You see, uh, once I graduated from high school, I thought it was time to get out into the world, but somehow found myself moving from the Northeast to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Now, don't get me wrong, there was nothing wrong with my college. It was excellent. I enjoyed my time there, and I enjoyed what Michigan had to offer. But it made me realize what we take for granted out here on the East Coast. I'm talking about actual bagels, not rolls with holes drilled in the middle of them. I'm talking about good pizza. And I'm talking about uh, Taylor ham, or what we call in New Jersey, or pork roll, I, I know is called other places. But you take those luxuries for granted. But there was one thing that I could just never stomach about going back to college, and that was the 10 to 12 hour drive between, my, uh, between Michigan and my home state of New Jersey. Looking back, Pennsylvania was by far the monstrosity of this journey between New Jersey and Michigan. Nothing but 311 painstaking miles of uninteresting interstate littered with potholes, never-ending construction, and service stations that offered the bare minimum. But those service stations were something you needed to pay attention to, though. Because if you weren't careful and you drove right on by, you might find yourself waiting 
an unknown amount of time, however long it takes you to go 50 miles until the next one. So when you saw that sign service station coming up, you paid attention. Because before passing one of these rest points, it would only be natural to check your gauges, did I need fuel? And also to check your mind and your body in case you needed a break. You had to have a little forethought in your planning and pay attention to the signs ahead. In our text this morning, such forethought, such wisdom are important, if not vital, to our life of faith. The reading this morning doesn't say where Jesus is going, only that a large crowd seemed to be following him, which is great, but you wonder if the people who followed him really knew the cost of what that really meant. Sometimes I think our perception, our understanding of following Jesus is a little skewed by the response of the first disciples, because so far they've only seen the good. They've counted their blessings, but I wonder if they calculated their liabilities as well. Because we'll quickly learn that we cannot merely follow Jesus, as Father Fitzmaier puts it, because of the blessings and wonderful things that Jesus has associated with the kingdom. We can follow for the good, but there are certainly other things as well, as we will see. Because it must have been pretty jarring to, uh, to hear, and it's still jarring for us, to hear Jesus utter the words, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. These words are meant to be provocative, and they're meant to serve as that 50 miles until the next rest stop sign to make us check if we are aware of what is going to come next. While Jesus might be speaking hyperbolically, while he might be exaggerating things, the truth of the matter is that following in the footsteps of Jesus requires a certain level of dedication. Following requires hard work, and it demands that our hearts commit themselves to faith that is just as much about sacrifice as it is about receiving blessings. For those of you who know, or for those of you, I should say, who don't know, my mother's been a teacher for as long as I can remember. She taught at the preschool my sister and I attended, and she taught second grade for a large part of her career. As we start into an, another school year, I can imagine that, the, and I think I would feel sure that the teachers out there uh, would be able to tell you that as they prepare their lessons, they know that not all of their students are going to pick things up at the same rate. Am, am I right, or is that, is that crazy? <laughs> Of course, uh, of course, then there will be students who get it on the first try and others who may need a little extra help, like I did in math, because that was my worst subject. There might be some, like I said, who need a little extra help or out-of-the-box creativity to make that lesson more comprehensible. I don't think that Jesus had a certification of education, or a certification in education, but I think that Jesus 
was aware that the people who he was speaking to needed a little creative lesson as well. So we find then Jesus telling the crowd whose attention he certainly had two stories. One story about a tower and another about a king who was heading off to war. In both stories, Jesus makes the point loud and clear, the point that we have to calculate the cost before we implement a plan. In the first, Jesus lays out the fact that you wouldn't build a tower if you didn't have the money or the resources you needed. And in the second story, Jesus similarly lays out that you wouldn't head off to war unless you knew you had the numbers, the logistics on your side. Both of these short stories are meant to make you stop and think about whether or not you've considered what it means to follow Jesus and if you're sure you want to really commit to that. But that doesn't mean we give up, though, when the going gets tough. Because we have a teacher, we have a friend, we have a mentor who is willing to walk alongside us patiently as we continue to understand what it means to be disciples who are committed, disciples who are active, and most importantly, disciples who are hopeful. However, that hope and energy cannot manifest if we keep beating each other up over mistakes and misunderstandings. I've never been a fan of what preachers call the bad dog sermon. If you're not sure what I mean by that, I'm talking about the kind of sermon where the minister stands up and metaphorically or in reality wags their finger saying things like, oh, you're such bad people and God's just so disappointed in you. I'm sure that teachers would agree that that is not the most effective means of, of educating people in your classroom, maybe for some, but except there's irony in what I just said because there are many who enjoy being reminded each Sunday that they are bad people who just don't stop sinning. I don't understand it, but it, it's a thing. There is a time and a place, though, for that kind of message, but it's seldom and it's rare. And our approach to learning and discipleship should embrace a kind of vigor, a kind of energy that propels us to be better, not because we are scared of being shamed for making mistakes, but because we want to serve out of a place that comes of, of our passions and our dedication and our faith. In these past few readings from the Gospel according to Luke, we've been learning what it means to be a disciple, to be the hands and the feet of Christ. But today, Jesus lays everything out on the table. So therefore, none of you can become my disciples if you don't give up all your possessions. To this point, we've been taking it slowly. But all of a sudden, a new revelation hits us. Not only do we have to not worry about counting things like our possessions or our social standing, but we also have to live as though none of that means anything. The lesson is not only about the end of our journey, the place to which we are going, but the in-between bits as well. I think it would be fair to say that Jesus wasn't expecting everyone who was following him that day to leave everything behind. But I would say that Jesus was expecting that they took time, that they took the effort, the energy, 
to evaluate the things that were important to them. The takeaway for us this morning is not the emphasis on giving up everything we do or the things that we own, but the takeaway this morning is the reminder, the challenge for us to consider if we know what it really means to follow God's plan, the plan that each of us plays a role in. When we can let go of the things that we need to let go of, we'll find then the freedom to hand over those burdens to God and dedicate ourselves to the things that rejuvenate us, the things that give us a second wind. We spent a lot of time holding on to past things that we've been saving up. Those past things, though, will turn to bitter memories if we don't let go. So let those things go. Don't hold on to possessions or memories that won't allow you, allow us, to grow. And when we let them go, our spirits will be able to transform them as we become more interconnected with God and with one another. There is one last thing, though, that I want to make very clear, which is that the work, this work of transformation of following Christ, this work of learning, is not another project for us to add to our list of things to do. Because the hard work has already been done by Jesus, the one who picked up the cross, the one who bled, the one who died for us all. The only thing we have to do is make a choice. Are we going to orient our lives on the things that truly matter and the things that give us the energy that comes from God? Or are we going to keep counting the cost of mission, keep saying that our time is more valuable and that there are other things to be done? Or are we going to keep believing that we have nothing to offer so it's someone else's job? I can't answer that question for you because it's a difficult lesson and a difficult lesson that is taken differently, received differently, by each person who hears it. So I guess I should ask, then, how will you live differently today, tomorrow, and the next day that God is calling you to live? We have an opportunity to receive a great gift, embark on a grand journey, and a call that leads us to a place of hope. So let's take that first step with faith and with grace, knowing that the sacrifices we make, the hardships we encountered, are only things we are able to overcome because we have one another, and we have a God, a teacher, a friend, a mentor, who is walking that same journey with us, hand in hand. Amen.